You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues of matter in business and management. Hello, and welcome to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Josh Rosenfield, an editor with McKinsey Publishing. In this episode, we'll be talking about a concept known as the circular economy and how it can help companies get much more value out of the energy, materials, and other resources they use. With me is Clarice Menya, a senior partner in McKinsey's Paris office, who is a specialist in supply chain management and the retail business. Welcome, Clarice. Hi, delighted to be here. We also have Eric Hannon, a partner in the Frankfurt office, who works on product development. Eric, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. So the idea of a circular economy has been around for some years, but I'm guessing that some listeners might not know what it's all about. What's a circular economy? It's probably easiest to understand a circular economy if we first juxtapose it against our traditional linear economy. Our traditional linear economy assists of a simple linear value chain, things like source, design, produce, consume, and dispose. And though over the last couple hundred years, we've squeezed an extreme amount of efficiency out of that uh, linear supply chain, it still contains seemingly an incredible amount of waste. So essentially at end of life, we either dump everything into landfills or incinerate that destroys nearly all of the, or the entire value that was created in, in those previous process steps. So a circular economy answers a very simple fundamental question. How can we capture more of the value that's lost in a traditional linear system? And in the circular economy, we try to find ways to create loops in that linear supply chain in order to retain that value. I would point out a common misconception. This is not just about recycling, right? So recycling is actually the least value capturing loop in a circular economy because it is only incrementally better than disposal. Rather, the tighter the loop, so to say, the more of the original value is captured. So loops such as refurbishment or increased utilization, secondary life uses, parts harvesting, things like that, these are all loops in a circular economy that can capture significant value, much more than recycling. Even after roughly 30 years of applying lean principles across the entire value chain, there's still a tremendous amount of waste that we can capture. What's the pressure on economies and industrial systems to become more circular now? It sounds like the linear model has been has prevailed for decades. It's even more than decades. Uh, it's 150 years, so it's it's a very long, long period. Um, and I think there is a very strong case for change that comes from um, major changes in uh, our resources uh, constraints in our uh, regulatory environment, and also. Um, because consumers are changing behaviors and technology enables to do things differently. To give a quick example, on the resource constraint, you have to think that 3 billion new middle-class consumers driving demand will enter the global markets by 2030. This is going to put a huge pressure on, on the resources um, and therefore uh, the, the ease to access resources is going to reduce. We see now a lot of volatility in most of the raw materials um, and, and the price levels and the price volatility is just, I think the world has never experienced that um, in most of the commodities. The second thing is I think the consumers uh, also are changing. We are talking a lot about the millennials, etc. But I think, you know, there is an attitude towards more access uh, rather than ownership. That's why people prefer to access a service as opposed to, to owning uh, a product. Um, and on the supply side, we've seen a lot of disruption 
And then the last point, I think, on the regulatory side, governments are getting mobilized on carbon, on energy, on waste. Um, and and uh, um, and there are lots of uh, studies showing that there's a lot of waste in our in our economy, um, uh, and that creates uh, negative externalities. And I think the governments, but also uh, I would say all the stakeholders, are, are starting to get mobilized uh, to urge the companies to change their um, their ways of working. Uh, and the good news is that technology can actually help a lot on that front. Are there any other examples you can describe of how companies that make products or that offer consumer services are starting to go circular and eliminate waste from their processes and from their systems? There are many examples of circular economy principles that listeners may be familiar with, but are unaware that they fit within the circular economy frameworks. One of the most value-retaining circular economy levers is increased utilization. Many of our very expensive capital assets have extremely low utilization, and if we could improve that, um, then we've retained significant value during that asset's useful life. And the prototypical, prototypical example here is cars. Right, cars have a utilization of something like five to eight percent, and even when they are utilized, they are used way below capacity. Roughly one and a half people in a five-passenger vehicle. So a lot of the ride-sharing companies are attacking the utilization lever, and the the hailing companies are attacking both utilization and capacity. There's other examples out there too, such as refurbishment. Uh, a lot of industrial machine manufacturers get back their very expensive engine cores at end of life, refurbish them, and have created a really nice market around um, refurbishment uh, rather than just simply scrapping those engine cores at end of life. Clarice, what are some ways you think that a company could, can get started in embedding circular economy ideas into its, the way it works? Circular economy is not just something you do on the side or one more initiative that you add into, into your pipeline. It should really be a priority for management. Uh, it is pretty transformational by, by nature, and it therefore, I think, needs the involvement from the top. The second thing is that circular economy should be seen as a value creation driver as opposed to an investment or an image uh, builder. Third, it is about collaboration, partnering, leveraging your ecosystem to find creative solutions. It is not uh, usually what companies are the most comfortable uh, doing, and it really takes to uh, embrace a different operating model to implement uh, that type of solutions. There's a need to raise awareness uh, and, and communicate around the initiative to, towards the employees, towards the suppliers, towards the clients, towards all the stakeholders uh, in order to educate people around the concept. As Eric was uh, explaining at the beginning of our conversation, I mean, it's not that complicated to understand the concept of circular economy, but people tend to um, uh, understand that it is only about recycling. And obviously, when you understand uh, circular economy as being only about recycling, you struggle to see it as a value creation driver uh, across the different steps of your value chain. It is a transformation journey. It's going to take a bit of time and, and it's going to take efforts, um, uh, but it's not a good reason to wait for two to three years to start to see some impact out of it. 
I'd like to stress a little bit your third point because I think it's a really important one, which is the ecosystem factor. A really unique feature of implementing circularity is how it's truly cross-functional nature of the activity. I know we say that lots of things in a company need to be cross-functional, but this is especially true here. When we're asking people to uh, move towards a circular model, we're asking them to change product product design, change their business models, change the way their supply chain is set up. You have to have all those people at the table working together to make that happen. We had a client whose sales team was trying really hard to break into emerging economies, um, but the price point of their product was simply too high. By working cross-functionally with R&D, they realized that with some design changes, they could actually remanufacture end-of-life product from their home markets, and with it, they could reach the right price point they were aiming for in emerging markets. So this opened up a whole new market for them, applying these circular levers, and neither R&D nor sales would have been able to successfully reach this market on their own. It was only by the cross-functional collaboration trying to implement circular levers that they were able to unlock this value. Eric concludes, are there particular um, management disciplines or operating processes that you think need to change the most in order for companies to go circular, so to speak? A few things, and I'm sure Eric will have other, other ideas. It should be a, a transformation that is anchored into, into the business. Um, and, and we need the CEO or the CTO, the transformation officer, uh, to be fully supportive and even maybe lead or be part of the steering committee of initiatives that will um, be uh, launched on the, on the theme of circular economy. Um, so if you leave it to the sustainability function, you really take the risk of adding up another sustainability initiative as opposed to making it a real source of competitive advantage and business continuity in addition to having a greater impact uh, on, on environment and... and, and um, uh, and, and a lot of the external um, uh, and negative externalities that, uh, that, that companies should, should work on. I would think about the incentives, like it should be part of the incentives of the top management to actually go circular. I would echo uh, especially your first sentiment, Clarice. We've seen this uh, quite a bit already, that very often when people here or a company here, circular economy, wants to do something on it, they ask the sustainability officer to figure out a few circular levers and it, it's just not sufficient. What we're doing is when we're implementing a, a, a circular economy business model, we're asking the company to do a fundamental transformation, which means questioning their business model, questioning the requirements around their product design, questioning the way the supply chains work. And that's not something that takes place in a, in a sustainability office. Rather, that's driven very top down. And I think the element also of uh, bringing innovation, I think, is also uh, very important. The circular economy somehow uh, challenges uh, profoundly the way the company operates. If you genuinely want to rethink through the different steps of your value chain from, you know, I'm working a lot in the consumer sector, in the CPG sector and in the retail sector and in food service, somehow you really have uh, from the field to the fork, um, you know, upstream sourcing practices and agricultural practices. Uh, you have the supply chain, you have the transformation, you have the downstream logistics, and you also have the way you market the products, the way you communicate um, the origin, the benefits, the quality of the product. So I'm giving you this example because I, I am truly convinced that there are lots of innovation to be found against each 
uh, single step of the value chain. But obviously, it is uh, more difficult and distinctive also. And that's why we, th we talk with Eric about building competitive advantage and creating value. But obviously, it's not being incremental and just doing a bit more of what you've done in the past that's going to make you transform your value chain. That's what we are excited about. Uh, and that's why it is a bit difficult. But I think this is where the upside will come from. Yeah, we see the need for innovation, um, not, not only the product, but along the value chain, but some of the, but on, e even further, some of the most successful implementations we've seen uh, of circular economy so far is when the business model itself is fundamentally changed and innovated. Great examples here are the transition from product to service in, in a lot of industries. So product as, as a service examples would be um, instead of buying tires, you buy uh, kilometers and instead of buying uh, a jet engine, you buy hours of uh, time in the air. And what those type of models really drive is they drive a rethinking of um, how durable your product is, um, what the what you do with the product at end of life, what value is left in it, what value you can capture, and how you maximize that value um, over the entire uh, cycle. And so by innovating your business model, you push the circular economy principles throughout the rest of the organization. So it sounds like there's a lot of value that companies can capture by getting all of their departments and functions on board with the idea of moving towards circular business models and, uh, and rethinking their, their processes along those lines. Once they've, they've begun that journey, um, what are some of the, the obstacles that they're likely to encounter and, um, and how can they work around those in your experience? So I'll start with a very tangible, practical example, Josh. Uh, very often we see when we're trying to implement circular business systems that reverse logistics is a huge operational hurdle. And what we mean by reverse logistics is when a product reaches end of life and we say that it retains a lot of value and we want to capture that value, we need a, a way to get that product from the consumer. Um, or the, the, business user, the business user or the customer, we need to get that product back somehow back into our possession. And there's very few supply chains that are set up with robust uh, reverse logistics networks. And so we need to make sure that by whatever circular economy levers we're applying, we're generating enough value that we overcome the additional uh, challenges and the additional cost associated with implementing those reverse logistics. Building on, uh, building on Eric's point on, uh, on the obstacles, I think really they come from the fact that it is difficult because it is cross-functional. Uh, it requires um, to realign incentives on a different set of KPIs, and it starts with the top management, meaning they should have uh, sustainable value creation um, uh, KPIs in in their performance um, in their performance uh, dialogue and, 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 and assessment. Um, and then number three, it is because um, this is often considered another sustainable initiative, while it should be once again a value creation transformation for the greater good, but also uh, in economic terms, something that is going to bring a lot of value through savings but also through uh, revenue upsides, as well as um, business continuity, meaning uh, risk mitigation. Clarice, you just mentioned a few of the 
benefits that companies can realize if they shift their businesses to become more circular. Um, where do you see the biggest near-term opportunities, whether it's um, by industry or by product category um, or by even geography? Before answering your question on, on industries and uh, sectors, um, I would say that uh, the opportunity uh, is to be found uh, along multiple dimensions, both costs and revenue. So there are lots of cost reductions uh, that can come from uh, material savings, uh, reduced price volatility, um, uh, reduced need to duplicate, to duplicate uh, value-adding uh, activities, etc. So I think there, there, there is a big cost component um, uh, in, in the value creation. Uh, but there's also a lot of revenue upside uh, that can come from secondary sales, um, it come from it can come from an increased service portfolio, uh, but also from simply having closer and more frequent uh, customer interactions. And I also believe that consumers uh, are becoming much more sensitive to quality, to origin, to sourcing practices, uh, to company uh, practices, uh, and there is also upside to, 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 to think of uh, in the way products and services are valorized when they have been produced or developed in a different way. So I really would like to in insist on those two dimensions, uh, costs and revenues, because this, I think, um, uh, works for um, most industries uh, across the globe. Now, in terms of uh, sectors, um, honestly, we, we did this work with Eric to go through thinking about consumer good companies, but also uh, IT services, um, all the transformation companies, obviously, because they tap into resources, they do transformation, therefore they are using energy, they are often using water, and they are generating waste. But frankly, um, there are very good examples of also of companies uh, uh, beyond consumer and automotive in, uh, in IT services. Um, uh, and, and I think the, the examples of the reverse logistics that, that, that Eric gave uh, works very well with servers, uh, works very well with uh, uh, different type of, um, uh, of equipment that companies that provide services um, uh, can, can think of. So I, I think it does apply across sectors. And, I, and then I think that from, an, uh, um, from a geography standpoint, I think you know, emerging markets uh, start to uh, get organized. Uh, they tend today to have um, uh, less strict uh, regulatory practices. But I think local stakeholders, including NGOs, and, 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 and sometimes it's not the government, but it's the state or the district or the municipality, uh, they are all getting organized and uh, and therefore they are they are also creating a case for change for companies both multinationals and uh, local companies when I think about your question from um, very specifically the geography dimension Josh um, you know Clarice touched a little bit on the regulatory environment um, in Europe we see a regulatory environment that is probably going to lead to um, a much quicker adoption of circular economy levers than in, in other areas of the globe uh, especially from a consumer side so first of all there's been a long history of of, uh, of legislation around 
uh, take take back of end of life products and uh, e waste and things like that. Um, up until recently, there's even been very specific circular economy uh, directives coming from the EU Commission that industries will have to respond to. So the regulatory regulatory environment is tightening and will push a lot of this uh, onto companies. Uh, when you look at a more B two B environment, China has actually. Um, for a long time, been pushing circular economy principles um, in their B two B business, but um, have in their B two B industries, but have not uh, yet really addressed the the consumer environment. And so we're seeing a varied legislative landscape that is going to maybe accelerate uh, uh, the adoption of circular economy principles in certain regions faster than others. That sounds like a good note to finish on, as we think about the prospects for the circular economy in the future. Thanks very much, Clarice Mignan and Eric Hennon. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thanks for the time. You're welcome. Thanks for hosting us. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. To learn more about the circular economy and to find other episodes of the McKinsey podcast, you can go to mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, Visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.